Well, you might be getting all excited because the holidays are upon us. Now, right now, I'm speaking specifically of Christmas, but it could be the 4th of July or Thanksgiving, your favorite holiday. And it seems as though everybody else is celebrating, is in a good mood, is happy, which may or may not be true, by the way. But you are struggling. Why? Because maybe you're looking at what you might consider to be your greatest failure in life, which is divorce. Now, I'm not saying it is the greatest failure, but let's face it. I don't care if you've been married for one year, five years, 20 years. If you give up on that relationship or it's given up on you or somehow just dissipated, you probably feel really bad. And I would say for the most part, most people really struggle when they're newly divorced and facing the holidays. So how do you actually manage that? That's what we're going to talk about today. But again, even though right now we're coming up on Christmas, this could be any time. How do you actually manage? How do you cope in light of a divorce? But I want to get to one thing before I get into this topic. I want to just take a moment and say thank you. I want to, I want to thank you for you listening. And I want to ask a favor. But sometimes I do these podcasts and I don't make any money off it. I do it because I think, okay, God, you Give me this gift, this skill, this message. I want to share it. And sometimes I think, okay, why am I doing this again, God? Is anybody listening? And then I'll get an email saying, hey, congratulations. You passed 10,000 listeners of your podcast in total. Or I'll get somebody who comes up to me who's a friend or a client and say, hey, I really love that podcast on whatever it was. And then I'm reminded, okay, this is why I do it. I don't always see the fruits of it. But you are the fruit. And if you do get something from this podcast, then I'd ask only one thing. One, pray for me. And two, maybe consider sharing it with other people who you think, you know, I think they too could enjoy this. All right. So I want to get into this whole idea of how do you cope with divorce in light of the holidays? Well, the feelings can be overwhelming. And the question is sometimes, what do you do with those overwhelming feelings? How do they pass? Because if you're feeling overwhelmed, whether it's anxiety or depressed, one of the first things that you might be saying to yourself is, this is awful, this is terrible. And the belief becomes formed that it'll never change. That this misery that you feel right now will remain. And that's not true. That's not true about feelings. Feelings fluctuate. They change constantly all the time for myriad reasons. So what should be or could be the first step when you feel overwhelmed? Now, this might sound a little bit anti-therapeutic in a sense, but it's not because I study this stuff. <laughs> I want you to begin by just accepting what it is that you feel. Not accepting the fact that you believe that this misery that you feel, this loneliness that you feel is going to be there forever. No, not that. That's not what acceptance means. Acceptance means that you just allow yourself to feel what it is that you feel without judging it. That means you don't have to beat yourself up and say, I'm such a loser. I blew this. I'm a terrible person. Whatever it is, just accept, okay, this is sadness right now that I feel. A lot of times, over time, because of your situation, your life, your holidays, the way in which you spend them has been uprooted and challenged and changed, you think 
it's always going to be this way. It's always going to feel tumultuous. It's not. Eventually, you will probably develop a new routine with new family members. It might be different. And eventually, you're going to feel less emotional about the past and how you feel even right now if you're sitting in misery and look forward to the holidays when they arrive. That is actually not only possible, but likely if you allow yourself to heal, to move on. God says, and I love this quote, many people do, from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And this is what God is saying to you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That's God's message for you right now to give you hope, to give you a future. Paul speaks about it in similar ways. It's different, but in Romans chapter 8, he says, this present suffering that you have, well, there's also this future glory. And Paul said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And I think about that all the time when I'm working with clients who feel like, I might as well give up. This is done. There is no tomorrow. There is a tomorrow. Not only do I understand that from a psychological perspective, having worked with many people who feel hopeless and depressed that they can't go on, and they do, they find that hope, they find that life, that revitalized life, but that is what God offers you as well. And one of the ways to get out of the stuckness that you feel is to begin by taking steps. You can be stuck or you can take steps. I just came up with that. Okay, not so brilliant. <laughs> but think about what's coming up, right? Just like you'd plan for Christmas. Oh my gosh, right? If you're really organized, which is, I am not. But if you were really organized, like my wife, <laughs> maybe early December, I got to start buying these presents. We got to buy presents for this person and this person. We got to think about meals and we got to think about where we're going. It's like, wow, I'm coming. Kind of tired just listening to you talk about that. <laughs> but planning is a good thing. And planning, taking steps, is actually one of the ways to lower your anxiety. Remember, it's not just your anxiety, your depression, your difficult feelings. If you've gotten divorced, if you've got children, they're going to have their own feelings of sadness and anxiety and confusion. And maybe you're planning takes their well-being into account because they're going to have their difficulty just like you. Things change, and I'm not here to blame you, to heap guilt upon you. As Scripture says, God says, God hates divorce. And I add to that, yep, most people who have gone through divorce agree. They hate divorce as well. It's destructive. It's difficult. Again, healing is possible. But if you're thinking about children, remember, they have to adjust to figuring out how to go to dad's house on Christmas morning, go to mom's house on Christmas Eve, whatever it is. But if you plan, if you speak about the situation with respect, respect for other people's feelings, their experience, this is a skill that you can develop, a co-parenting skill, talking about how you're going to talk about the holidays. And maybe you need to bring some people into it. But I would say this, more than anything else, you're going to have to bring grace into this time. If you want it to work out, you're going to have to be flexible during this time. 
maybe even with your ex and with your children and with extended family. The one thing that you can control right now is how you speak about the difficulty that you're in. And I would say if you find yourself angry or anxious or flummoxed and don't know how to speak about this struggle, slow down and breathe. As Proverbs chapter 15 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You can control your tongue. Maybe you can't control what happened. That time is done. But moving forward, you can control. And the first thing that you've got to control, if you want to control your future or have a better future, is to learn to control your tongue. No matter what you think you're facing. I think one of the best examples I find in all of Scripture, I love this. Every time I read it, I go, wow, that's amazing. In Acts chapter 12, the disciples were spreading the gospel message, right? This message of love, of hope, of salvation. And what did they get for it? Ah, Imprisonment, death. (laughs) A lesson there, but I'm not going to talk about that right now. But Peter had been jailed. And Herod is there, ready to bring him out for the kill. And Peter is shackled to two soldiers, one on either side. And guess what Peter was doing? Now, what would you be doing? You were ready to face your imminent crucifixion, the death. Shackled to two soldiers, ain't no getting out of this one. Peter slept like a baby. And there were guards at the door. (laughs) Peter slept like a baby. And the idea is that you might look at your life and the circumstances and say, it's overwhelming, there's no hope, there's no future, tomorrow I die. But you can have that peace, that serenity, because no matter what happens, God is right there with you. Now, a lot of times, there is this balance, and we all look for it, this balance between experiencing something new and holding on to the traditions that we've learned throughout our lifetime, And both are good. You like to know that you're going to have a bed to sleep in at night and that you're going to be able to eat today and tomorrow. That's what feeds the calm and the peace. But it's also, we know this, that it's kind of fun to say, hey, I don't know where we're going to end up tomorrow. I don't know what we're going to eat, but we're going to go somewhere new. We're going to be with a new friend. We're going to try a new tradition. And I know you didn't plan on this. Most people, when they get married, they don't think, yeah, and if I get divorced, ah, it'll be just fine. I'm going to do this. But now that you've been thrust into this place, you can begin to focus on creating a new experience and new memories and new traditions. It might be tempting to think about how you used to celebrate Christmas. Not too long ago, I was talking to a friend, and they were lamenting the fact that their mother had passed away. And my friend was an adult. She was in her 60s. And her mother, when she died, was in her late 80s. And she said, it'll never be the same. Now that mom's gone. Yep, that's true. But it doesn't mean that it can't be new. And wonderful. 
But sometimes you've got to be willing to let go of what was and embrace what can be. Paul speaks about traditions in Galatians chapter 4. And the Galatians had a difficult time <laughs> trying to figure out this balance between, you know, embracing what is new and the traditions of old. But Paul was saying, he said, you know, before you knew God personally, you were enslaved to these so-called gods, right? That they weren't really gods, but, you know, these pagan gods that they worshipped. And he said, but now you know the real God. Or actually, better said, now that God knows you, how can you possibly subject yourself again to that past, to those fake gods? When you're intimidated into scrupulously observing all the traditions and the taboos and the superstitions associated with special days and seasons and years. In other words, Paul was saying it's so much more than just adhering to specific traditions. Oh, we've always done this, so we must do this. We always have eggs benedict Sunday morning, Christmas morning, so we must do it again. Why? (laughs) And maybe if you've gotten divorced, you did have those traditions, and maybe they were wonderful. Nothing wrong with eggs benedict. Now I'm hungry. But sometimes you've got to be willing to let go. As God calls you to let go of life as you've known it, God calls you into a new life. Now, if you've experienced a divorce, and that's what we're specifically addressing here, and everything associated with it because your whole world probably feels like it's been turned upside down. I say this frequently. I remind myself of this. I remind my friends of this. I remind my clients of this. You and I were not meant to do this life journey alone. And if you're struggling because of a divorce reach out. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not about being strong or weak. The truth is we were meant to live in a body, in a community, as a family. And if because of divorce, all of a sudden you're facing your first Christmas without your kids, maybe it's time to figure out who else you can call rather than sitting at home, watching Home Alone, (laughs) which is kind of a funny movie. But reach out to other people and share your love, share your sorrow, share your tears, share their laughter. We're meant to live in community. We're meant to live, to grow. You know, Paul, again, going back to Galatians, in Galatians chapter 6, he said, you know, what a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, Ignoring others, ignoring God, harvest a crop of weeds. And all that you have for your life to show for it is weeds. But if you plant in response to God, letting God do the work, the growth work in you, then you will harvest a crop of real life and eternal life. And the point I want to make in the scripture is God has called you to a lifetime of growth. And although there is no doubt this divorce might feel like a tremendous setback, you've got to plant those seeds of growth, of love, of joy. They don't just show up automatically. Some people may naturally be a little happier than others. But people who experience real joy are those who actually plant seeds of love, caring, loving, nurturing those relationships. 
And sometimes, again, when we're talking about even self-care, which I preach, which I talk, which because I speak about it because I understand it from a psychological perspective and I understand it from a scriptural perspective, a faith perspective. Sometimes you've got to go back to the basics when you think about self-care. One of the things you might want to be looking at is, do I get enough sleep? Do I get enough exercise? Am I eating well? Am I getting outside? These are the basics of self-care. And these are the things that you must do to reduce your stress, to reduce your loneliness, to reduce your sense of feeling overwhelmed. Now, when I talk about self-care, that doesn't mean self-indulgence. I'm just going to spend one one week at the spa. (laughs) Good luck with that. That sounds terribly boring to me and expensive. But self-care might mean actually getting out of your own life and serving somebody less fortunate, going down to the homeless shelter. Again, prioritizing self-care doesn't mean selfishness. It means getting out of your lonely and getting in and loving other people. And yes, if you just gotten divorced, whether it was a month ago or a year ago or a few years ago, you might be struggling with this understandably. But one of the ways to feel loved is to love others. You know, this life that we're experiencing, and the older I get, and I must be well into my 30s by now, 40s by now, 50s, okay, whatever. Who's counting? (laughs) But here's context. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, he said, everything in the world is about to be wrapped up. So take nothing for granted. Stay wide awake in prayer. But most of all, Peter says, love each other as if your life depended on it. Because love makes up for practically anything. Give a meal to the hungry, a bed to the homeless, and do all of this cheerfully. Be generous with the different things that God gave you, passing them around so everybody gets in on it. In other words, let it be God's word. If it's help, let it be God's help. Because that way, God's bright presence will be evident in everything through Jesus. And he gets all the credit. Everything is about to be wrapped up. Today is the day not to lament, not to feel stuck, but to give, to love. And remember to do this in prayer. Now, I'm not here to tell you what you should do, what your prayer should be like, but I would say pray. I can tell you what I do, not that I tell you to follow me in prayer, but pray. And one of the things that I do in prayer And I moved after about fourth grade from, and God, I want this, and I want that, and I want this, and I want that. Yeah, I moved beyond that because God isn't Santa Claus, and I finally figured that out. And instead, a good part of my prayer starts with, thank you, God, for this, and thank you, God, for this. It's recognizing the many, many blessings in life. Now, I'm not much of a journaler. But I would say, if you don't know how to express gratitude, start by writing it out. You could write a letter to God. Dear God, thank you for this. Thank you for that. 
every day take note of something that you feel appreciative over. You know, even just taking a few minutes of time in the morning or at night, the breath that you've been given, all of that, that sense of where I am right now and recognizing the blessings actually helps you to feel more grounded and less stressed. There's a part of you, like a part of me, like a part of the apostles, like all who have lived before us, that we say, yes, I know what we should do. I want to do this, and we don't do it. That's why God reminds you. Great example, Matthew chapter 26. Jesus is facing his imminent crucifixion. Wow. And what does he do? He gathers some of his disciples, and he said, I got to go pray. Stay with me. Okay. Jesus goes off to pray. He comes back. And what does he find? They were sleeping. And sometimes you've got to look at your own life and wake yourself up from your slumber and say, God, it's time for me to pray right now. Stay alert, Jesus says. Be in prayer so you don't wander into temptation without even knowing that you're in danger. He said, yeah, there's a part of you that's eager, ready for anything in God. And he said, and there's another part that's as lazy as an old dog sleeping by the fire. And maybe you've been lulled into sleep or your depression or your isolation because of your divorce. I get it. But God reminds you, wake up, be alert, and pray. You see, when you embrace this kingdom life, Jesus says, and don't doubt God, you'll not only do minor feats, like what he did to the fig tree, ah, no figs, cursed tree, and it shrivels up. He said, but you're going to triumph over huge obstacles. You'll tell that mountain to jump, and it'll jump. He said, absolutely everything, ranging from small to large, as you make it a part of your believing prayer, gets included as you lay hold of God. Prayer is so important to move beyond the feelings of loneliness and despair of divorce. You've got to pray. Anything is possible. You can find love. You can find joy. But sometimes you've got to separate yourself from the bad habits. Sometimes you've got to say, oh, I'm so depressed. I'm so anxious. I know I'll just scroll through social media and that'll make me happy again. Womp, womp, womp. It doesn't. Social media can trigger all kinds of sadness, especially during the holidays. Because you look at everybody else's life and say, wow, they look really happy. They're doing great. But remember, people post what they want you to believe about their life. Look, we are so happy together. Even our dog looks happy. Our cat? Nah, we gave up on that a long time ago. (laughs) But let go of the social media. Connect with other people. Yes, again, because of that divorce, you might feel like you lost everything. But you don't have to fake it. You don't have to put posts on social media. Hey, I'm really doing great. God wants you to be authentic, to love from the center of who you are, to hold on to the good life, to be good friends who love deeply. 
God doesn't want you to live a burned out existence, but he wants you to keep your life fueled in a flame, cheerfully expectant. And Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he said, don't quit in hard times. And no doubt if you've just been divorced, and when I say just, I mean it could be a month, it could be three years or five years, but you're still struggling with it. Don't quit, Paul says. Pray harder and help the needy Christians. Again, when you get out of your own life and choose to love others, Choose to speak to others. Just reaching out, sharing your story, and allowing other people to share their story with you. That's a wonderful thing. Again, you're not meant to do this alone. You're not meant to carry these difficult feelings alone, this journey alone. God reminds you in Matthew chapter 10, he said, you and I, we are linked in this harvest work. And God is talking about himself being linked with you. And he said, anyone who accepts what you do accepts me, God, the one who sent you. And God did send you to connect with others, to connect with him, to connect with life. And that's the life that God wants you to live. I know it seems overwhelming right now. And that's why God says, start small. You're not expected to have all the answers, what your life is going to look like a month from now or a year from now or 10 years from now. Right now, getting through the day might be everything that you can do. But remember, the smallest act of giving or receiving makes you God's true apprentice. And you won't lose out on a thing. The seed cast in the weeds represents those who hear the kingdom news but are overwhelmed with worries and stress and loss. And the stress strangles what they heard. But you don't have to let the stress of your experience, of your divorce, strangle the life that God wants you to live. You've got to take that first step. God is calling I will meet you back on the road. And remember, always forward.